Hello, my name is Amanda Kasseri. I use she, her pronouns. Today is May 12th, 2023, and I'm speaking with Jessica Tegner. I'm recording this conversation for Open Source Stories uh, in a very sunny morning where I am on the East Coast of the United States. It's quite nice outside, and I'm very excited to get out today. Um, Jessica, would you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, of course. Uh, my name is Jessica Tegner. As Amanda said, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm currently uh, in Denmark where I grew up and it's it's a very sunny afternoon and very nice weather. I'm probably going to go out and, and eat something outside for dinner at a, like an outside restaurant and it's, I'm really looking forward to just a really sunny weekend we're going to have here. Lovely. Do you get to go outside very often where you live or is this something that's newer for the season? Well, we can go outside whenever we want. We're really um, good at um, putting like appropriate clothes on, so to speak. Yeah. Like there's nothing <laughs> stopping us from going outside at all days of the month. But I'm personally a, a bigger fan of the summer. I love the summer when everyone else is dying of heat. I love being outside. I'm the same way. I think everybody else in my family melts to the ground, but uh, it's I kind of go out and just start bathing in all of the sunshine and fresh air. Yes, same here. Yeah. Um, well, that's I, I'm super curious then. So for um, when the summer months come around, as folks who like to work or who do work in front of technology, does that tend to change your pace and how you engage with things for your work? Or do you tend to um, kind of keep a steady flow? I I keep a steady flow mostly because I have set my uh, like workspace up in such a way that I can work from anywhere um, as long as I have an internet connection. So I can sit indoors, I can sit at the pool, I can sit at a picnic table, I can be in the forest, like I can be anywhere and work really. So um, I wouldn't say my pace changes much, it's just a location really. Yeah. That's that's uh, probably a very nice way to um, make sure that you can set yourselves up for being uh, being able to wherever you can do your best kind of work or your best environment. Mm. Do you? Uh, I'm just curious. Do you remember your first impression of someone else using a computer? Uh, I think my first impression was really at school when we had these um, big whiteboards that had um, Windows like XP on them or something like that. That was that was my first impression and how um, how cool it, it, it was. But other than that, I've really, I've always grown up with technology and gaming, not from an early age, but from, I wanna say like eight, nine, 10 years old. Which game do you remember being your favorite that you would still play now? Um, so, I mean, when I was little, it was very much a lot of like ch uh, children's games. Yeah. Um, also, side note, if you can hear like a, a, a dinging outside, that's the ice cream truck coming by. <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's an unfortunate timing, but nice. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, uh, gaming, I, I sadly don't do as much gaming anymore, uh, partly because I've lost the rest of my sight and partly because, um, 
my friends I used to game with, we are, we just have like busy grown-up adult lives now. He's working, I'm a student, I'm working, doing open source, speaking at conferences. We don't really have time to just sit down and game as much anymore. Yeah. I, I think the um the ways that we describe fun change over time, which has always been has been interesting to me in life. Mm. Do you feel like um, the satisfaction that you get from doing the different kinds of things you do now, is that um, similar to what you got from accomplishing different work or different kinds of levels in games? It's definitely, I wanna say it's even better. Um, I figured out I love um, speaking with people. I love meeting new people. I am a very big extrovert. Um, so I love traveling around to tech meetups and conferences and a bonus if I get to speak at them. It's like, I love that probably even more than I love just sitting in front of a console or a computer to play a game. So, so when you're meeting people as you're traveling, how do you describe the work that you do in open source to them? Um, I, I usually just say I'm an open source maintainer and uh i've made projects of various success and uh adoption and then i show them my like github profile with my linked um with my pinned repositories so they can see what i'm currently currently working on and also most proud of yeah what do you remember when there was a time when you felt you like you switched to that place that you were describing yourself as a maintainer rather than as a different kind of role? Yes, it 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 was definitely uh, I, I remember that very clearly. It was when I took over my my current project that uh, is like my biggest project called Pipe Hand Doc. Mm -hmm. uh, when I kind of took over that from the previous maintainer i'm like i i i really that really set in that like i am a maintainer now i'm the one at the top of the like food chain i'm the one responsible for all these uh to make sure it still runs like no one else i can't just complain to someone else and they'll hopefully fix it at some point i i'm i'm kind of the one in charge in in that sense um, yeah how did you start that journey like how did you start the journey of becoming the lead maintainer for pipe handoc so it started when I was developing a markdown application for the blind and visually impaired mostly, but anyone could really use it, but it was targeted at those um, with the blind and visually impaired for them to be able to convert markdown files between um, like beautiful Word documents, HTML, PDF, PowerPoints, and so on. And at that point I wrote a lot of Python, I still do. Um, but at that point, that was my main language. Um, and to that end, I used PyPandoc as a dependency, and I started um, reporting a lot of issues and feature requests to the current maintainers. And I started contributing code and documentation myself. And there was a point where I kind of saw that the, the current maintainers, it was like they were pulling away or they weren't as much invested in the Python ecosystem and in PyPanda anymore. And no one else had really stepped up to uh, take over the project. And 
it wasn't like they were actively calling for a new maintainer, but I sent them an email mostly because they they seem pretty inactive on GitHub. So I, I sent them an email asking if you, if just very politely said, hey, um, if, if, if you are planning to pull away from open source or pull away from Python, um, what would you mind if I took over the the continuous maintainership of PyPanda because I I need it, and I I can imagine a lot of other people do based on their contributor list. Mm -hmm. So so, and they they really didn't have an issue with that, um, and part, I think it's partly because they were pulling away and also partly because they knew me, so it wasn't just some random person messaging them they they knew me because they'd seen my name on issues where i would help other people that had either markdown related or pypandoc related questions even if it didn't have anything to do with pypandoc yeah. and they saw my name from pull requests where i have some i've, I've submitted code as well so they, they kind of knew me already yeah so so they they said yes, and I, I got ownership, like maintainership of being able to publish packages to the package index and, um, you know, my, like was the only maintainer of PyPanda from that point forward. And then I I, I said, you know, as I told them, yeah, like I, I can't imagine a lot of people uh, use it. And then after, um, after they gave me maintainership of it, I found the like uh, package index statistics uh, site where you can view downloads and such. Um, and I figured out how many people used it. And, and that was really when it clicked. It's like, I have, I feel like I have a responsibility now because it seems a lot of people depend on it to not break. So um, that was the thing. And then also the pack, uh, the like, uh, PyP, the package index, sent me an email saying, hey, your project has so many downloads that it has be been assigned as a critical project. I was like, okay, uh, this sounds pretty serious. <laughs> <laughs> was, when the sounds pretty serious, was that a, did that feel um, positive or was that something that felt um, like it was a little bit more of a weight than you thought you had signed up for when you asked to take over the package? No, be, because I I saw that a lot of people were using it, mm -hmm. so I knew that it was already adopted, and it was um, it was the de facto standard for um, interfacing with Pandoc from Python. That was yeah. Pandoc. That was the de facto standard, um, and I knew from seeing the downloads how many uh, downloads per month, like how many used it, but I had no idea that it was in the top 1% over like a six month period, which is the requirement to become a critical package on the index. So, but it wasn't really, to be honest, it wasn't really a bad thing. It was a good thing. I like responsibility. I like having something to do. Um, so for me, it was really positive. And then there's the added bonus of, well, when you tell that to people, that kind of does that you your your opinion just you carry a little more weight and you can talk to people on a more um like you're not just have a you don't just have a little pet project that no one uses. Like this is an actual an actual thing. Like you you're um 
you just you they they kind of know you and and can see you're actually serious about what you're doing like programming wise yeah yeah i think um i talk with some folks about the different kinds of um ways that folks you know make investments in open source and I, when i hear you talking about the kind of the weight that it you know being a maintainer for something that is a critical dependency um gives you it also sounds like it kind of gives you um a little bit of a boost because you get that kind of like techno social um connection with people in a way where when that's not a responsibility maybe you don't get to have that connection in the same way in the community there's there's that and then also i get to be able to go to companies and say hey i am a maintainer of this it has this many uh downloads unique downloads per month and it's a been marked a critical project by the uh, python foundation and that usually saying that sentence usually get companies to listen to at least what you have to say um because you're not just some uh random um like person with uh, that study computer science you've actually done something on the side um yeah so are there i'm curious from the um from the journey you've described are there any lessons you've learned that you would like to share with others that you feel like you either didn't know before you started it or you wish that you um you wish that someone else had talked to you about hmm that really depends on exactly lessons. What do you what do you mean by lessons? Um. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, kind of. Um, so, for moving to being to someone who was uh, an active contributor in a community to someone who's now um, a lead maintainer and then a lead maintainer for a critical project, um, are there things along the way that uh, that you didn't know before you started that journey that you definitely know now. I the the biggest thing that comes to mind is that imposter syndrome is real. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so I always feel like that I I'm sitting with uh, people in the GitHub Accelerator project, um, GitHub Accelerator program that started in. in in April, where PyPaintNug was one of the 20 selected projects. And I I love it so far. I really, really do. And I'm really grateful for that opportunity. But sitting with those people, those great maintainers, um, and, and learning all that we do, I feel I have such an imposter syndrome because I feel like they are doing really, really cool stuff. Um, that has potential to to be really huge and has um, a much bigger scale. And I feel compared to that, my project, even though it's, it is a critical project, um, it, it it's pale. It feels like it, it's really small compared. And I feel like I, yeah, so, so that whole uh, imposter syndrome is real. Uh, once you really get into it, at least for, in my case, I really... I feel like I'm never doing enough. So that's why I'm always sitting and trying to find new projects, new 
new things that I can code, but that's also part of just in my DNA. When I'm bored, I go to tech. When I'm happy, I'm go to tech. When I when I need a distraction, I go to tech. Just just that's just my like life. It's open source tech programming. Uh, but yeah, imposter syndrome is real. Yeah. Is there anything that helps you when that feeling starts to to build, either when you're with that specific group or just in general? Um, so typically the imposter syndrome builds because of a specific like sequence of events. So I just, I, I tell myself that as an example with the GitHub Accelerator program, I tell myself, I wasn't the one that chose me. Someone else did. Someone else that has years of experience chose my project over thousands of others. That was not my call. So they have, they have must thought that I was, uh, like that PyPandoc was was worth the spot. So that's that's kind of what I tell myself. And it, it's the same when um with like the when the imposter syndrome start to build up. I just I keep telling myself that well people like what I do because if they like if they didn't they wouldn't have chosen me to do these things. They wouldn't have picked me over so many other people. So that's that's what I, I keep telling myself. Uh the same with my my upcoming internship um, at Uber. It's it's like they could have hired so many else, but I they chose to hire me. So so I'm I'm trying to tell myself that I wasn't. They they picked me, and that that kind of helps the imposter sim syndrome subside a little. But it's still hard. Yeah. No. I I will be I will be super. Um curious if it ever goes away for anybody. Um, I, I experience it consistently and constantly as well. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that you label it too as imposter syndrome, because I feel like uh, that also helps identify that you recognize that, you, you know, your work and your contributions and your experience are very valid. Um, it's an emotional feeling as opposed to a, um, as opposed to something that's um, you know, rooted in in not having experience and not having that um, work that you've been really dedicating sounds like so much time and energy to as well. Yes, um, I've really I've spent most of my teen years doing doing tech stuff because that was that was what was fun for me. So going from just doing whatever I want in tech space to something actually using it to now, you know, sitting here talking with you, um, talking with other like people, um, doing talks, being on the, at the accelerator program. Like it's going from that small thing and then it's just accelerated really, really fast. And that can, I feel like when you, when you start growing faster than you expect that's when you start having a lot of imposter syndrome and then it's just re really important to keep yourself grounded and remember that you're growing fast because people like what you're doing if they didn't like what you were doing um they wouldn't use what you're making so that's kind of what I'm, I'm trying to tell myself with with this whole imposter syndrome and growth yeah. Do you, I'm curious, you mentioned that you really like to travel and give talks and visit communities. Are there any special moments for those that have stood out in your mind where you felt extremely like uh, the most connected? Um, so I say I, I like traveling 
I haven't actually, at the time of like this recording, I haven't actually traveled physically to any conferences, but I am working really hard on it. Uh, just It was just a couple of weeks ago that I submitted my first call for proposal paper to a conference. Um, but I know I like traveling in general and then yeah. combining that with with tech conferences, like the thing I love to do the most, like that sounds to me like a perfect combination, but I'll probably even still have uh, doubts and imposter syndrome, even when I'm standing on a stage in, thousands, in, in front of thousands talking about uh, what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I'm very excited for you. I found, um, I, and I will say the, um, I, I hope all of the joy and confidence before you give your first talk for you, um, because it is for me something that continues to be something I have to overcome, even though I agree with you on the part where I really do enjoy it. Um, I really enjoy talking with people and sharing ideas and having a chance to get feedback on the ideas that I have. Um, so I'm very excited for your CFP submission and hope that you keep submitting them. Oh yeah, I have. I've already planned um, like six different conferences just this year that I want to submit CFPs to. Probably not all of them is going to be accepted. That's sure. just the nature of thing. Yeah. But I am really hoping forward to as many as possible. Half of I, I get to go on stage and talk about what I really love and people uh, like it's the same imposter syndrome there. It's like people chose to listen to what I have to say compared to I, why would anyone listen to what I have to say? But I just have to remember that they chose it. I, I didn't force them to. And the same, just meeting a lot of people. Um, well, well, not really necessarily meeting a lot of people because I don't know that many in the like wider open source community, but getting a lot of like maybe some new like networking opportunities or really anything. I've, I'm really looking forward to traveling all of Europe to different conferences. Oh, awesome, exciting. I, I hope, um, well, I'm, I mean, I would love to eventually be at the same one, but I hope I get to catch up with you too and find out how those went at some point. Um, I'll be watching your site. Are you gonna be able to post? So for one thing, when things do get accepted, are you going to be um, uploading those on your website? Yeah, like every talk that has a, a recorded version, which most of them do these days, uh, it's gonna come up on my website as along with all the other like interviews like this one or live streams uh, I've been on like GitHub's, really anything public where I've gotten a, t a chance to, to be on and speak, it's going to go up on there on my website. Okay. Fantastic. Um, we're getting close to the end. And before we do, I just really am really curious is, um, is do you have any strong opinions that you wish would come up in a conversation like this, but almost never does? Um, really, it, it's really, um, that, that can be a long winded conversation on its own. <laughs> so I'm going to try to, to keep it a little brief. It's, um, because I, I have a disability, I'm fully blind. Um, so the whole designing of open source and designing products, um, the whole accessibility for uh, people with disabilities sometimes seem to have be something that's shoehorned in at the end. So mm -hmm. 
having those conversations early on saves a lot of headache for everyone involved because it's easier to put in accessibility from the start than it is to just shoehorn it in at the end. And and I feel like not enough um, open source. Um, I feel like we get really lost in our own little bubble. I have the same issue with I'm trying. I, I when I ask my friends or if I when I think myself about new projects, most of them are very blind or visually impaired specifics or something that only that group most of all would be interested in. And I feel like it might be the same for for a lot of other uh, open source maintainers and really. Uh, any form of like project lead or developer, it, you get really stuck in your own little, um, in your own little world, and you have so like branching out and see how other people with different backgrounds and like ape like disabilities and stuff can use your product is really, um, it's really helpful because there's nothing worse when I see a cool new tech thing in open source and then I try it and it's just like, I can't, I can't use it because it's not accessible to me. Yeah, no, I, um, I'm glad that you bring that up. Thank you for calling that out. And I'm now I wish I would have asked it much earlier in the conversation. Um, <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I said. Like it can be a whole conversation of its own. Yeah, yeah. No, um, well, maybe we could have you back then again um, in a little while to check in or for the next maintainer month. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, then if it's for the next maintainer month, at least I I could um, I could tell how many of my CFPs get accepted <laughs> and what, what's happened there after, after the accelerator program and, and stuff. Yeah, that would be excellent. Um, I will make sure to follow up on that, Jessica, because I would really, really like to get the chance to see how everything worked out for you for in the next year. Yeah, yeah I'm excited too. I'm excited <laughs> to see what happens in my life too. It's really a uh, really a whole whole journey right now with a lot of uh, crazy things happening. I had no idea. Like if you've asked me half a year ago, I would have no idea <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, that's very exciting. Thank you so much for taking time out of then out of your schedule and um, chatting with us. And um, I wish you the best of luck in the plans that you have for the next year. And I'm excited to find out how they turn out. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful.